0: Well, if you were not with us last week, we started a brand new series. It's only four weeks, so this is part two. Uh, Today, if you missed out, I'd encourage you to go back and catch up on uh, YouTube or the podcast um, just to kind of try and catch some of the heart behind what it is that we are trying to address. But the quick version is that we really do believe that we are invited to follow Jesus. And what that means is actually following his way. So there is a way of life that leads to life. So following the way of Jesus, And in addition to everything else, so in addition to the privilege, to the fact that we get to enjoy this relationship, that we can find our identity and purpose and destiny and peace and perspective, in addition to that, God has a very significant intentional purpose that is also for the sake of those around us, for the sake of the world. I've made reference quite a few times to Robert Mulholland and his definition of discipleship or spiritual formation where he says that is the process of being formed into the image of Christ for the sake of others. I love, I love those points. Another way of saying that, you might have seen on our uh, wall in the cafe as you walked in, we, we refer to the fact that we're here to, to invite people into a life-giving relationship with Jesus, and we, we kind of look at that in four particular ways or pillars, that's knowing God, so enjoying an actual personal relationship with Him. Finding freedom, that is, that is actually growing an identity and health and dealing with our yesterdays and working through, uh, you know, kind of like baggage. We all have baggage. The third is discovering God's purpose because we actually don't believe that you will find the most fulfillment in life or the most joy in life if everything works out the way you want or or if you just get to experience everything you'd like to experience. We actually believe that you'll find the deepest levels of joy and fulfillment when you discover and respond to God's purpose. For our lives, so know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and then lastly, to actually make a difference. I believe that that part of the fruit of following Jesus is always going to be that you can't even help it. You're going to make a difference to the lives around you. You are a catalyst. You are uh, a thermostat. Like like when when fruit is being formed in your life, it's going to affect others. One last way to say the same thing. I'm trying. To, I'm trying. To, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to repeat myself in slightly different ways. Another way is to say that we are committed to ordering our lives around three goals, that is being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what Jesus would do if he were me. So if he were a young man that has you know, a few daughters, married to one wife, has my job, my responsibilities, etc., cetera, what, what would he do in these different situations, with different opportunities, with different challenges? If, if I was a single 17-year-old at school with a part-time job, and, and I'm dealing with complexities at home and, and some relational challenges, what would Jesus do? If you're a single parent of, of three young kids and you're, and you're facing challenges that, that so many other people can't necessarily relate to, what would Jesus do? We wanna be with him, so enjoy that relationship. We wanna become like him, so and we can't make it happen. I can fake it, I can try force it, but ultimately fruit is formed to where I'm becoming patient, kind, gentle, a non-anxious presence, self-controlled. Fruit is formed. So I want to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and ultimately do what Jesus would do if you were me. That's what Christianity is. That's what following Jesus is. It's not just a box that you tick. It's not just, well, I think I kind of believe in Easter. I'm okay with Christmas. No, no. It is about following Jesus. If I'm not following the way of Jesus, I've got to ask myself whether or not I'm following Jesus. Yeah. Now, 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 these may be semantics, but, but bear with me. I'm trying to understand what, what I'm trying to get at. We can say, well, yeah, I believe in Jesus. And without wanting to be disrespectful, I want to remind you that Satan believes in Jesus. So it's not about believing in. In fact, uh, there are other religions that believe in Jesus. So it's not about, I believe in, or, or yeah, 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 I believe in Easter, no, no. Am I actually wanting to follow Jesus? If I, if I don't want Jesus, I won't want Jesus. I mean, that just makes sense, right? So there is a way to do life that leads to life. There is a way of Jesus for the sake of the world. And the big idea that we tried to get at last week is this, what I believe is an encouragement that... Instead of just trying harder, so so this is assuming that we want to be like Jesus. This is assuming that we want to be a blessing to those around us, that that, that we want to experience peace that passes understanding, that we want to live generous, open, responsive lives, that I want to be hard to offend, quick to forgive, thick-skinned, soft heart, that that I want to be creative and not just consuming. So, So assuming that I want to be like Jesus, then the encouragement is that it's not about just trying harder. Well, I wanna be Jesus-y, so I'm gonna try really hard to be Jesus-y today. Guys, that lasts for maybe all of two or three hours. Our our willpower is a finite muscle. If it's just about willpower, and our willpower has a role to play, but, but willpower alone will become exhausted. If it's just about trying harder, we can have the best intentions in the world, but we need to actually train ourselves to follow the way of Jesus, to become like Jesus. Now, some of you that were here last Sunday, you were incredibly disrespectful and you laughed at the idea of me running a marathon. And you're probably not wrong. Um, the point I was trying to make is that is that I might not be able to run a marathon just because I really want to. I can I can put some shoes on tomorrow, some comfy shorts, a t-shirt, and I can really try hard to run a marathon. And I don't know, maybe I can crawl over the finish line, but I'll probably land up in hospital and and need some recovery time because I haven't trained to run a marathon, right? And so in the same way, I think that we so often get discouraged. We give up. We think this Jesus stuff, this Christian stuff, like it's it's all just very idealistic and and it's for the birds. I've tried, it hasn't worked. I wanna encourage you not to try. I wanna encourage you to... Submit yourself, surrender yourself over an extended period of time towards training. To give you an example, let's get very practical, right? Just, just imagine some hypothetical person this past week who, who kind of wants to love God and wants to love people is experiencing a normal day with, with its stresses and demands. You know, you get home, whether it's after school and extra activities, whether it's after work, maybe you've had to cook, maybe you've had to clean, maybe you've had to do chores, homework, whatever the case is. And you kind of get to the end of your day and you're tired, but wired. Anyone know that feeling? Like you're tired, but yes, like you're just like, like frazzled and you either need to drink something or binge something, but, but you want to unwind. I mean, we actually say, I want to unwind. And so, depending on your choice of unwinding, you, you'll land up very likely going to bed quite a bit later than what you should. You don't get quite as much sleep as you'd like. You wake up on the third snooze of the alarm in the morning, now you're under pressure, you race to get a cup of coffee down, maybe hop in the shower, you brush your teeth, now you're racing to school or work or the next appointment or getting the kids out of the house or whatever the case is, And and again, you kind of remember, oh, I want to be Jesus-y, you know, they've been at this thing, you know, church for a long time. And and so, you know, you you, you encounter that person at work or school that really irritates you and drives you crazy and drives you to the drink that you had the night before. And 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 as much as you want to be kind and patient and self-controlled and gentle, even though you're faking it on the outside because you've been a Christian long enough to know how to fake it, on the inside, you are seething. There's, There's almost a level of toxicity taking place, you're, you're, you're in a meeting and you're getting increasingly angry that people aren't doing what they should have, but it's not like just frustration, like appropriate, I mean, like, like, like it's, it's eating, starting to eat at you. And you kind of just hang in there, hang in there. So you're trying really hard to get through the day and you kind of just hang in, in fact, you need to go to the bathroom more often than, just to go and sit and just be still and just, just survive a day. Contrast that, compare and contrast that. With, so, so this person loves God. I'm actually meaning that quite sincerely. This person may genuinely want to grow in their love for God and their love for people, but all they're doing is trying, like, like they're hoping, right? Like it's a willpower thing. Compare and contrast that with someone who, who is slowly but surely. They're not amazing. They're not perfect. They're not magical. They're not a superstar. just over time, because they've been working at these practices for a long time, they, they know themselves a bit better. They know the tired but wifely. They know what's going to give me short-term relief but long-term pain. They, they know what's going to truly help them wake up more refreshed the next day, et cetera. And so, and so even though they've had the same hectic day, they, 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 they do what needs to be done around the house. Maybe they're trying to slow down in some way, reading a book, whatever the case is, but, but they, they try and start moving towards bed at a, at a time that's a little bit more reasonable. They've already switched their devices off instead of just scrolling, flicking, binging, whatever the case is. So, 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 their, so their brain's actually starting to slow down. Maybe, maybe they take a minute or two just to, just to connect with God and thank him for the day, reflect on stuff from the day. God, is there anything you want me to become aware of, anything you want me to do better? And there's almost like this release to him before you go to sleep. It like, God, there's stuff that I wasn't happy with today. this stuff that I left on the table I wish I could have got done. Thank you that you love me regardless that I can find peace in you regardless, that you give rest to those you love, and you, and you ask God to bless you with a good night's rest, and you wake up when you're long. In fact, you don't just wake up when you have to. You actually wake up 20 minutes or 15 minutes or 30 minutes before you have to because you actually wanna spend a little bit of time with God in the morning. It's not a guilt thing. It's not a religious thing. You just, you just know that for me to walk the way of Jesus, I need to actually connect a bit with Him. And so, again, you might just follow a, a very simple uh, prayer pattern, on the model that Jesus gave of our Father in heaven. May your name be honored. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today what we need. Forgive us as we forgive those who sin against us. Uh, lead me away from temptation. Deliver me from evil. Now, now, I'm not saying that you repeat that word for word. I'm saying you reflect on those things. Okay, God, I actually do love you. I appreciate you. I really do want your all to be done. And as you think about what's on the docket for today, as you think about some of those meetings or classes or, or the fact that you're going to be around those friends again who ugh, like you just know they bring stuff out of you that you don't really want to come out, you surrender that stuff to. As you, as you work through God, forgive me, you think of stuff that you may need God's mercy for. You think about people that have maybe hurt you. God, help me to release them, to bless them. And God, please, for crying out loud, lead me away from temptation and deliver me from evil right? But it's like simple, or maybe you're reading a short devotional plan. You you actually leave home on time, and you're not rushed and frazzled and wanting to kill people on the bus, on the taxi, in the traffic, and you get to work. And because of getting into a habit of ending your day a certain way, starting your day a certain way, you've become more mindful, more sensitive, more present to God. And so even as you go through meetings or classes or, or break times or lunch times, you, you kind of just feel like you're, Aware of God's presence, His peace, His wisdom. You feel that little <clears throat> when He doesn't want you to do something. You feel a peace when you're doing what you should be and you're being diligent. Maybe even take a little break halfway through the day, whether it's to the bathroom or you have a park somewhere that you got, even if it's just for a minute and you're saying, and you kind of just, just recommit the second half of your day to God. Over time, if if this person is training. Like there's actually a scripture in the Bible that talks about training for righteousness, right? If this person is training and they're patient and they persevere, and even though the first 348 days aren't amazing, they just keep persevering with it. And and then they even start trying to include, you know, kind of like a weekly Sabbath where they really take seriously the idea to just just disconnect from the world and take a 24-hour block. And they experiment with giving up, uh, you know, stopping work, worry, and wanting. And they, and they, and they, they kind of starve that consumer mindset, and, and over time, the first few weeks are hectic, the first couple of months are a little bit weird, but then they start feeling refreshed. They start feeling like, like, like they start their week differently. They, but, but by Wednesday, they're still living off of the rest from the Sabbath, and, and they're looking forward to the Sabbath that's about. Is it possible that the person who is committed to training is gonna be eventually producing more fruit? You know what's interesting is that both are hard. Both take effort. I just think that one results in us trying to force fruit, the other one actually allows fruit to be formed in us. And I do think, I do think that most people want to, come on man, you want to be nice. For the most part. I mean, if you don't, maybe we need to have a different conversation. But but, but, like, but like, you want to be present. You want to, you want to have a high capacity. You want to be able to cope with stress. You want to be able to contribute well at school, at work, etc. You, you, you want to be able to deal with the curveballs that get thrown. Out. Come on. Anyone have curveballs thrown at them? Like all the time? In family, at work, whatever the case is? And instead of praying that you stop having curveballs thrown at you, you actually become increasingly confident that God's giving you the capacity to cope with curveballs. Guys, I'm just telling you that there is a way that is exhausting as we just keep trying harder and hoping for the best. And there is a way of training where we commit to practices, to a rhythm of life that doesn't make us lazy. By the way, some people, when I talk Sabbath, they're like, whoa, 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 that sounds lazy. No, no, no. The the first part of that is you work for six days. Some people need to hear that part. Okay, But, but it's not about being lazy. It's about recognizing limits and the fact that God has created us with the need for various limits. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25, we read this last week in the New Living Translation. This is Paul the Apostle, one of the early church leaders, writing, and he says that all athletes are disciplined in their training. They're disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it. In other words, we are disciplined in our training for an eternal prize. So it's not just to get something that's going to last a moment no no we want to we want to discipline ourselves so that our lives matter for eternity our family our friends our colleagues the people that god allows us to be around so i run with purpose in every step there are so many metaphors in the bible that that come down to sports because i think of discipline and training as involved, and then agriculture because of the the amount of patience and faith involved in, in these two metaphors that are used over and over again. I came across a great definition a couple of years ago of discipline, which you may just need to ponder on it for a little bit. We have this on our version notes as well if you're not able to take notes right now. But this is from John Mark and he says that a discipline is any activity that I can do by direct effort that will eventually enable me to do that which currently I cannot do by direct effort. So to go back to your insulting response to my idea of running a marathon, okay, what that means is that discipline doesn't mean I can go run a marathon. No, no. Discipline means that I can, I can commit to what is realistic for me to do now. I can commit to, a, to an entry-level plan three, four times a week over the next few weeks that then continues to build and it continues to increase. So it takes effort, right? It takes discomfort. There's a bit of stretching. You're increasing your capacity. You're changing the way you eat. You're changing the way you sleep. but, But it is a commitment to doing what I can do now so that eventually I can do what right now I can't do. You may think, well, you know what? I've always had a temper, my dad had a temper, my grandfather had a temper, and apparently my great-grandfather had a temper. I will always have a temper. And no matter how much you try not to let it come out, it leaks out, you still have a temper. And my encouragement to you, number one, is not to use it as an excuse. It may be an explanation. So yes, there may be a tendency in your family that has that been learned and passed on and the way we, we cope with stuff, sure. But I actually do believe that if we will do what we can do right now. So, so you might not be able to stop yourself from reacting to something that is horribly provocative. Okay, but, but can you get a little bit more sleep? Can you lay off on the caffeine? If you need to, I mean, I mean this, this, again, this, this, isn't, this isn't prescriptive, this is what you all need to do. Tammy, I think, I don't know if you've shared this publicly, but if not, now it is, felt like God really strongly, consistently invited her to actually give up caffeine. Because no matter how much she wanted to be a certain type of person, she found that she was, at times, is it fair to say, prickly? (laughs) Okay, prickly and irritable. And and it wasn't consistent with who she wants to be. So that might not sound like a terribly spiritual thing. That is a spiritual discipline. That's saying, okay, okay, I don't don't want to react the way that I react sometimes, and this is putting me on edge. So so it's dealing with that, it's getting... uh, Exercise, by the way, is not as much a weight management problem as what it is a, a solution, as what it is a stress management solution. So, so maybe you commit to actually exercising regularly, which actually does all kinds of stuff in your body that helps you to have a better capacity. And before you know it, six months later, a year later, people that know you well are saying, you seem a little bit different. Like if that person had done that to you six months ago, you would have ripped their head off are you on drugs? Like, what's going on? You know? Because you've been training. You may feel like you struggle with generosity or faith. Start where you are, not where you want to be. You may feel like you struggle to, to, to resist the temptation to just escape into games or media or whatever the case is for hours every night because you just it's the only way to medicate your emotions. It, it may take time, but but where you slowly but surely start dwindling down that behavior that's not helpful and where you start slowly but surely increasing helpful practice. Is this, is this making sense? Training versus trying. It's all going to take effort, guys, but the one will form fruit. Okay, in this last few minutes that I have remaining, I want to give you six quick tips towards or principles towards training. Number one, training takes a balanced approach. If you're anything like me, you know, you may recognize an area and you just, it's like all or nothing. Like it's just guns blazing and you focus everything on trying to improve that area that is a weakness. And there's some value in that, but I wanna encourage you to actually surrender to, to somewhat of a balanced approach. Take a look at this image on the screen where it kind of gives us a sense of, of practices or disciplines of engagement versus abstinence of uh, either doing it alone or doing it in community. And look at how things are balanced, right? So the top left quadrant are practices that we would mostly practice by ourselves. So like solitude and silence would be my time with God, whether I'm out for a walk in this forest or reading the Bible or spending some time in prayer, but it's it's alone and it's important and it's necessary. But that doesn't mean that I don't need to spend time with community where, where I'm getting known and I get to know others. It doesn't mean that I don't uh, commit to acts of service, or even like, like what you're doing right now. Church is a is a practice in community. This, this is not the same, and it does not replace what we do by ourselves. Yet, there is incredible value in getting together, being reminded of things, being encouraged. Maybe you get to meet people and connect, or you start contributing somewhere. There is there is a balanced approach to training. Number two, which is very similar to that, training takes into account your personality. So if you're super, super introverted, you're gonna love the stuff on the top left quadrant, right? So, like silence and solitude, thank you very much. Leave me alone. It's just me and Jesus. And 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 it's wonderful. And you come alive with journaling or reading and reflecting or prayer. That's good. But just because you flourish in that and you're able to be consistent in it, does that mean that you don't need some time with community? It's not a trick question. You still need, you can be super introverted, you still need time with people. I'm not saying that this isn't super valuable, I'm saying that it's gonna be incomplete. Or maybe you're on the other end of the spectrum and you are off the charts extroverted. Like you, like you need to have meals with people five times a week. I'm not talking your family. I mean like friends and colleagues and just anyone. And like, you're exhausting, you know, because you just, you want to socialize all the time. Now, now, you need to feed that, embrace that. That's part of how God's wired you. Again, you're not an accident. But does that mean that you don't need time alone? Where you're slowing down, quietening down, where you're not just distracting yourself with, Relationships and stimulation, and, and inter- like, is this making sense? We need to take our personalities into account. Number three, training takes into account your season of life. Yeah. Whether you are a 16-year-old student or a 22-year-old you know, student who's got a part-time job and, you, and you're living with roommates or you're living at home, that's a very different type of life. Or you're empty nesters, or you're a single parent of three young kids, you need to look at your season of life. You see, what empty nesters can do is very different to what a single parent of three young kids can do. Some of you can remember, those of you that are parents, or you, you're in that season now, we have three young kids, where you remember what silence and solitude felt like. And then you had kids, right? And it's like, and now it's like you try and grab 30 seconds in between, Mom, Mom. Like Sue used to always say that she felt like there was a button on her bum. Like, mommy should sit down, someone would be calling, Mom, Mom. And so, and so for you, you may not have this, you may not be able to always have this perfect, beautiful, serene, 30 minutes of silence. Hey, how many of you found that the moment you try and get up earlier before your kids to have time with God, that suddenly they start waking up earlier too? (laughs) Hey? And you feel like, is this the devil? Like, what is it? You know, it's like just what and and I want to encourage you not to be legalistic, be like, be okay with your season and, and adapt yeah. the practices to your season. Trying to Sabbath with, with kids in different stages of life is very different to trying to sabbath if you're alone or you're or you're a couple with teenage kids or whatever. Like it's it's just different. So we're not trying to paint some prescriptive perfect picture for you. I'm saying there are principles. In fact, by the way, interestingly, Jesus, the only practice that I'm aware of that Jesus kind of commanded was prayer. Although some would argue that all the all the practices are actually directed towards a life of prayer, which is basically a relationship with him. What he did, though, was he practiced a lot of stuff, and then he said, follow me. He went to synagogue every weekend, follow me. He took time out early to go spend time with the Father because he needed it. He said, follow me. He, He modeled community where he's living closely, like in close confines with at least 12 men, one of whom was about to betray him, Couple of others that were a little bit lunatic, you know, and there's conflict and like like he he modeled community. He modeled generosity, he modeled interruptibility. And he said, follow me. Number four, training takes into account the need of the hour. This is maybe the most important one that I don't want some people to miss. It's almost like a doctor who's prescribing a certain medication or, or a physiotherapist or a, or a biokineticist who is, who is prescribing a certain program, a certain plan based on your need, based on your area of vulnerability, where you're needing to strengthen a shoulder or, or you're needing to, to, to take something to help your heart function the way it is or to monitor your blood pressure, whatever the case is, I want you to think of spiritual practices in the same way. This, this is what a lot of spiritual directors recommend. So for example, if you're struggling with a sin of commission, let's say you're struggling with porn, or you're struggling with gluttony, or you're struggling with, with laziness, and you're just always trying to sleep 12 hours, you know. And so, the, and so there's kind of like this body appetite thing going on, then they would prescribe a discipline of abstinence. So if it's an act of commission, they would recommend something like committing to fasting, once a week, whether it's a meal, two meals, three, whatever, but to act like physically, like fast food, fast stuff that's feeding your mind in the wrong way. Some would say if you're struggling with greed and consumerism or materialism, well then, well then maybe stop spending for 90 days on anything, I mean, get food, pay your bills, <laughs> but, like, but like don't buy another, nice-to-have item for 90 days. Like, just, just, just experiment for 90 days or 60 days or 30 days. Just abstain for a moment, because whatever we feed grows, whatever we starve dies, right? Or if you're struggling with a sin of omission, so you're not doing something that you actually kind of want to do. Maybe you've grown up in church, you've been around church for way too many years, and you're lukewarm, and you're, you, like, like, you heard this stuff when you were 14, and you're a little bit cynical about Jesus, and, you know, you just, like, I mean, you're probably not even listening to me right now. That's you, right? So, so, someone, so someone who is so conditioned, so inoculated, chances are the spiritual director would prescribe something that's going to pull your finger out your backside, and that's going to get you engaged, going to get you to sell some stuff and give to people that, that need it, to, to start serving somewhere, to start sharing, to, to get involved in a justice project, to 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 maybe start serving in secret, just anything that can, That I almost have this picture. I don't know, maybe there's someone like this the other day where, 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 where it's like this heart has actually stopped. Like you're not dead yet because it hasn't stopped long enough to be like dead, dead. You know, and where, and where the emergency technicians or whatever come with the, defibr- the defibrillators and like, you know, like just, boom, just, just bring, bring this heart back to life again. I feel like they're people like, you're waiting to hear one more thing that's going to move you, and God's saying, like, you've heard enough to last you five lifetimes. No, no. you don't. I'm not prescribing more knowledge. I'm not prescribing another book. I'm telling you to get your heart moving. I'm telling you to get involved in something that's going to wake you up again, that's going to wake you up from this, from this slumber. You have been fully anesthetized. Training takes into account the need of the hour. If you're greedy, generosity. If you're struggling with pride and arrogance, serve. Not somewhere strategic where everyone's gonna love you. No, no, just serve. Somewhere menial. Yeah. Commit to community because it's very hard to be proud and arrogant when people know you're junk, where people know your vulnerability, where, people, where you're confessing stuff that you're struggling with and doing some acts of kindness in secrecy where there's no credit for it. Do you know, do you know what that does to your ego? Where you're not sharing a testimony on social media, look at how God used me to be so amazing. I mean, he's amazing. No, no. Secrecy. Undercover. Tell you something, that starves pride. That starves ego. It starts to remind us that actually everything we do is for an audience of one. If irritability, maybe you're committing to sleep, exercise, and watching what you watch. If frenetic busyness, maybe you're committing to daily times of silence and solitude where you just slow down. If struggling with intimacy with God, when you do spend time with Him, then maybe try separating your prayer time from everything else where you just actually focus on just being with Him, relationally. Trying to hear Him. God, is there anything that you're wanting to whisper? If discontentment, Commit to a habit, a practice of gratitude where every single day you are somehow noting or expressing what it is that you're grateful for. And if an addiction to performing, producing, and consuming, then Sabbath. What am I struggling with? Like, what are the symptoms? God, what are you wanting to prescribe as corrective behavior? Number five, training isn't afraid to do the hard work. Like, I just want to debunk this myth that I just pray a special prayer and boom, like Pixie dust psh, you know, your Cinderella, before midnight. Like it's not like I mean, guys, sure there are. I, I, don't 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 hear what I'm not saying. There are moments in people's lives where you may have an encounter with God and it's a catalytic event. You may not have it. You may have it, but that's not the norm. And we can make an idol out of an experience where we keep chasing that experience that we had, and we're not actually chasing God, we're chasing the experience. But it's gonna take work, it's gonna take perseverance and patience and consistency and failing and getting back up again. And lastly, training takes into account the need for repetition. Mm -hmm. There is no formation without repetition. There is no formation without repetition. I have literally been in thousands of church services. I've spent thousands of hours with God. I've probably spent hundreds, if not thousands of hours talking honestly with friends and mentors and people that, where I just need to be real and confess sin and confess stuff that I'm struggling with. Let's give up on the quick fix. Because, by the way, the point I'm making is, in in spite of thousands of hours in church, having heard thousands of sermons, there's still so much room to grow. But I'm not discouraged. I'm also not reliant on that only. I'm saying, God, help me to put into practice, help me to keep tweaking practices that are going to help me to be like you, that are going to help me to be loving and patient and kind and gentle and self-controlled and faithful and good, to be a non-anxious presence, to be generous, to be, to, be, to be a blessing to people. There is no formation without repetition. It'll be harder than you think in some cases. I know this doesn't sound like a good advertising pitch, but it'll be harder than you think in some cases, and it'll take longer than you think in some cases but everything that is worth it is like that. Your key relationships, key friendships, your marriage, your, 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 your kids, your relationship with God, your character, guys, it's gonna take time. I love this quote, and Tyrone, you can come on up, by G.K. Chesterton, it was written a long, long time ago, and so, so, so some of the language is maybe slightly different, or some of the pictures are slightly different the way that we would write, but but he's trying to speak to the fact that God is quite okay with monotony. That God has got a far greater capacity for repetition. We get bored and we want something to change. We're, we're always looking for, for the next life hack, for the next, for the next solution, for the next quick fix. Um, I mean, guys, the, the self-help industry is enormous. You go to any bookstore, there are gonna be all kinds of, of great, and, and there's a lot of value in some of that stuff. But I do think that the one challenge is too often. It almost seems like if you just do A, B, and C, boom, give it a good you know, 90 days or 30 days or whatever, and, and you're gonna be a different person. But, but it takes longer than that. Take a look at this. Because children have abounding vitality, because they are in spirit fierce and free, therefore they want things repeated and unchanged. You've noticed this, right? They always say, do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until he's nearly dead. For grown-up people are not strong enough to exalt in monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exalt in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun, and every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never got tired of making them. It may be that he has an eternal appetite of infancy, for we have sinned and grown old, and our father is younger than we. The repetition in nature may not be a mere recurrence. It may be a theatrical encore. Is it possible that through patient, persevering, repetition, that if we will persevere with training instead of just trying, if we will do what we can and not get discouraged by what we can't, if we will start where we are and not where we wanna be, if we will pursue progress and not perfection, is it possible that six months from now, 12 months from now, five years from now, that people may look around and barely recognize you? and it'll be good. I'm gonna close with this, you can stand, because we're gonna pray in a moment, but but I'm reminded of a statement that I read in a book that was written in 1978, Celebration of the Discipline, where the author, Richard Foster, he made a comment that I think should should really disturb pastors. It It certainly disturbed me and continues to disturb me. he says that we are no longer surprised when people's lives don't change. We're surprised when they do. That should scare us. It should sober us like in a good way. And maybe this is a challenge to you, where if you've been a Christian for a long time, but there's been no change, Is it possible that God's inviting you to do something different? To actually follow the way? To not just believe in Jesus, but to actually follow Jesus? If you're a leader here, if you're a life group leader, you're a team leader, I wanna encourage you. Let's not be okay with not seeing transformation in people's lives. You can't make it happen. I mean, you can't. That's the frustration. I wish I could. I wish I could make you do what God wants you to do. I wish I could make me do what God wants me to do. I mean, it's tough enough trying to lead my life. But I don't wanna give up trusting that transformation is possible. Transformation is another word for metamorphosis. It's just being formed into who God's made us to be. Let's not be okay with not changing. Father, I commit every single person that is here today, that might be watching this online at a later stage, God, please, in Jesus' name, help us to see the life that you've invited us to Lord, we know that morality is commanded, but maturity is invited. Help us to see where we are rejecting your invitation to life that leads to life. Help us to see where we've gotten discouraged when we've tried to do something for a short while and haven't seen the freedom we've given up. God, help us to persevere with repetition, with training. Help us to be okay with it being hard at times. Help us to be okay with with pressing into those things that that, that naturally refresh us, but also pressing into those things that that are not as easy for us, but it's exactly the area where you're wanting us to grow. Help us to recognize where you are prescribing a practice that's actually gonna breathe life into our lives. And Father, for any person that is yet today that, that is actually experiencing that stirring in their heart and their mind to say yes to following you, God, help them to take that seriously. Help them not to see it as a magic switch. God, I pray that that won't be seen as the end, but that that'll be the beginning. God, for people that are committing, people that are deciding today, right now, to follow you, that they would go all in. All in, carte blanche, full surrender and that they won't grow weary in doing good, that they won't give up, that when they fail, when they're discouraged, when they're confused, that they will get back up, that they will persevere, that they'll press in, that they will position themselves around others that can encourage and help and give perspective, and that they'll keep carving out time to spend with you. God, help us not just to believe in Jesus, but to follow Him. We ask these things in your name, and everybody said, amen. I wanna encourage you, if you are making a decision today, to follow Jesus, to either scan your camera over the QR code in the chair in front of you or simply go to our website and click on the connect with this button or go to the connect area over there. We have a, a little New Testament part of the Bible with a sheet of paper in there that we'd love to give to you. That just gives you some next steps in terms of how to start reading the Bible, how to start praying. But again, I can't emphasize strongly enough, this is the beginning of a journey. This isn't like, boom, done, I graduate. No, no, you, this, is, this is where we start. And then we persevere. Please don't miss out next Sunday, part three of The Way and the World. Have a wonderful Sunday, a refreshing week. We'll see you next weekend.